It is, it, is, uh, it is wonderful to be here, and, uh, and Tim, you're, you're kind with your words. Um, I've I got to let you know that uh, um, we, talk, we talk a lot, the, the five of us, all the time on a text, and uh, we call ourselves um, the legendary slackers. Um, and the reason is because uh, we're pushing ourselves all the time, and uh, if I need anything translated, I don't go to Siri, I go to Tim. Um, he is, uh, he is the, the, the wordsmith, the visionary. Uh, he is the one who, when we were sitting in the room in Denver uh, and dreaming, weeping and smiling and laughing, and we were talking about what God meant to us, he was the one who, just, uh, who was sitting two seats over the left, and he just said, it's, uh, it's Jesus, period, all, period. Um, and, and as he said it, I was like, I, I translate everything that he says, right? So as I understood it immediately, I knew it was Jesus, full stop, all full stop. I was like, yes. And it's, it's that kind of like mind that he has that he sees things uh, way before anybody else does. Uh, and he pulls us into this place. And so it's an honor. I don't know. God, God brought us together. Uh, and uh, I'm honored. Honored. So... We are in a beautiful passage today. Uh, it's in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read this passage to you. It's only a couple of verses. Luke chapter 6, 43 to 45. You see, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. You don't pick figs from thorns, nor do you get grapes from a briar bush. The good person brings good things out of good treasure of the heart, and the evil person brings evil things out of evil. And what comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing in the heart. I love that passage. Um, I'm actually extremely excited today, kind of giddy excited in, in a kind of weird way, but an appropriate way, all right? Uh, so, so it's all okay. Uh, I've been thinking about this for, for weeks, and I've been thinking about it for months, in fact. And I would say I've been thinking about this in some way, uh, all the way back to August 2017, although I didn't imagine I'd be here. I imagined I was going to be in Bolden. It's because in August 2017, Tim and I got together and started to create the Global Resource Collective Preaching Plan at that point. We had already been working on some ideas, and, and at that stage, it was just Crosswalk and Boulder that were connected at this time. And when I say we put together the preaching plan that you and I have all been going through for the last year, let me just be clear what my specific role was in this. Uh, my contribution to the plan was to create a Google spreadsheet. This is no ordinary feat, uh, because it was no ordinary Google spreadsheet. In fact, it was color-coded, it was filed, and it was named correctly. You have no idea how many people cannot find their Google spreadsheets once they make them. They are lost all the time in eternity of Google somewhere, and they're like, where was that file? And they go into the email boxes, and, like, and then they're horrified, because they keep all their emails in their inbox. They do not even know how to file those. But it was, that was my contribution to it. Tim's minor part to the entire preaching plan of 2017 was to take letters, uh, to combine those letters into words, to place those words into sentences, and to fill my color-coded spreadsheet uh, with the preaching plan. And that's what made the overflow of the entire year that we've been experiencing. And then we get to have this series called Overflow. And so I was kind of excited about that. And, uh, and then I was disappointed because I wasn't going to preach on the Overflow series in my church in Boulder. And I'm not going to be there next week because I'm in Spain training some pastors. And I was going to miss both weeks. And, and I love Christmas. I mean, I love Christmas more than any other season there is in the entire year. I mean, you guys like July 4. I know, it's an okay holiday, but Christmas, 
Christmas, oh my goodness, Christmas is amazing. Thanksgiving is your precursor. But Christmas, oh my goodness, this is the one. Because it brings us all together. There's kind of a, there's a good spirit and it's an overflow spirit that actually exists in the world. Whether people understand it or not, they're just kind of like, they want to be kind. <laughs> they want to be cheery. And they're like, I don't know why, but they do. So I love this. So it's an honor to be able to be here. And Tim, thank you for the honor to speak to your community and to share this challenge. And here's the challenge uh, for the overflow. What comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing in the heart. The words of Jesus, the simplicity embedded in the complexity, right? It's right in front of us. It should be right in front of us. If you think about it, if you have to ask yourself, are you hungry? You're not really hungry, <laughs> right? If you have to ask yourself, am I in love? You know, you're not in love, <laughs> right? If you have to ask yourself, are you burnt out? You haven't really, you're not burnt out. <laughs> if you have to ask yourself, are you called by God? You haven't felt it, you're not called by God yet. If you have to ask yourself, are you living in the overflow? You're not living in the overflow. The words of Jesus, the simplicity embedded in that complexity inside there is right in front of us. He's saying, look, I don't want you to live in the reserve tank. I don't want you to live in the gas tank, the main gas tank. I want you to be living in kind of the overflow of the tank. I want you to be living where all the energy takes place inside there. We're talking about what just naturally comes up. We're talking about what something that just can't be stopped because it's just overflowing all the time. And the only way that happens is when you're in sync with Jesus Christ. Let me share this uh, metaphor with you and maybe this will help you understand a little bit about what I'm sharing here. Um, when I read a passage of scripture in the Bible, I like to be able to explain this to my people back home as well. I love to see the Bible as, uh, as kind of a Duplo or Technic. And for all of those who love Lego, you instantly get this, right? You're like, yes! And some of you adults are like, I still play with Duplo. That's okay, that's okay. Duplo's great. If you have a giraffe, all it entails for Duplo Lego is you have a giraffe and you add a tail and you're complete. Done. <laughs> right? But if you're in technic mode and you're building a giraffe, it's 10 million pieces. It takes you five years, a lot of therapy and counseling. And, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. I lost a piece. And who took that? And it's your child. And it's all this kind of stuff. But you're connecting all these dots together. And that's what the technic is. And so when you're in the Bible, you're looking for Duplo, the big pictures. And then you're looking for technique. You're looking for things that you're like, oh, I see that's connected in a way that I never saw before. Let me give you a, just a quick example. Elijah goes up to the cave. That's a, just a Duplo story. It's a great story. When you suddenly see technique is when you realize that that cave is the same cave that Moses went up to as well. And then you think to yourself, well, when Jesus then says to Elijah, who called you up to this cave? You suddenly realize there's something deeper inside the story here because he called Moses up, but he didn't call Elijah up to the cave. And so there's these two prayer struggles going on inside here. And then the technique starts to grow even more because when Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, he calls those two people, Elijah and Moses, the two men who had different experiences in the cave. And he takes them to the Mount of Transfiguration and says, I want you two to come because you both understand the different struggles that go on. And so the technique starts to grow. And the overflow of the result of this is that as he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, remember the nine disciples are like squabbling and the, the rabbis come to them and say, look at your guys, they, they are living in the reserve tank. And Jesus living in the overflow just kind of obliterates everything in front of them. And they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and are transformed in that moment. 
That's what the Technic and Duplo does for us. So when it comes to preaching, I like to be able to feel both the Duplo, the big picture, and the Technic, the kind of magic inside there as well, which means that it has to be disruptive. It has to be disruptive to me and disruptive to you. It has to be thought-provoking and challenging. I often feel humiliated and consumed by the text as well. And I expect something to happen. I do. I expect something to happen to you. I expect something to happen to me every single time. I really do. I expect that whatever's going on in your life, as you walk through the doors, I expect something to happen to you. I expect there to be a transformation to take place in you because this is what the Word of God actually does. I expect that there'll be a reverberation that happens as a result of this because the Word of God is not me. It's the Word of God will speak into you. The Spirit will speak into you. And this will be the overflow. Let me uh, remind you of a story. Some of you are like, oh, I know this story really well because you've memorized your entire Bible, I know. And so uh, let me remind you a story. If I, if I said 1 Samuel chapter 19. Okay, so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19. <laughs> uh, there's a great story inside there, right? And uh, you're like, yes, of course, I just didn't want to show off that I knew exactly what he was referring to. King Saul... <laughs> You're like, I have a pretty good guess. King Saul or David. You could have said David in one. Uh, King Saul and David is inside the story. David has just beaten Goliath a little bit before that. And King Saul's really upset because social media has gone wild with this story, right? I mean, it's just, it's just out of control. People are like getting selfies with David all over the place. They're like, ah, big David, I want a selfie with him. And, and, and poor King Saul, I mean, nobody's tweeting about him. Nobody's following him. In fact, he goes on Facebook and he, he looks inside there. Who's following him? And people are unsubscribing. I mean, he's just like, he's just like, it's just, his social media stats are going down. He's like, and you know, he lives for social media, unlike you. Right? He's just like, he's just hoping he gets one follower this week, just one follower. And people are like writing about David, you know, and they're doing that, you know, portrait mode with him and, and holding him in different angles and, and they're just carrying him around and bringing feathers and all sorts of things to him, right? So uh, King Saul's upset, so he decides as a result of this that he's going to take a spear, which is the thing you do <laughs> when you're upset with someone, <laughs> and you try to impale them. I have not uh, attempted to do this in public. And so, um, so he takes a spear and he throws it and misses. I have missed. And, uh, and then that fails and as a result of this, he then says, he then says, David, I want you to go kill a hundred Philistines. No, 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 David, I, I want you to go gather a hundred Philistine foreskins. That would be way more harder. I mean, can you imagine? Kill a hundred Philistines, one thing. Now just go circumcise a hundred of them. I mean, they're going to not want to die, but they're not going to want to give you their foreskin. I mean, that's what he's trying to do. He's like, oh, stand still, stand still. No, no, stand still. I mean, this is just a disaster, right? He's hoping he's going to get massacred by these hundred Philistines, right? So <laughs> Saul then says to him, this is not working. The hundred Philistines gave up their foreskins. And so he's like, all right. So now he says, get his son, Jonathan, go kill David. That doesn't work either. Saul's plans are all failing. So he then goes to the spear, because <laughs> it didn't work first time. So he grabs the spear again, misses again. I mean, just a tragedy. So, you know, when you're reading the Bible, I mean, just the, these are just such classic, beautiful moments that just kind of make you giggle through the entire Bible. And then you realize it's your life. Hmm. So uh, as you're reading through here, 
Of course you're thinking to yourself, you don't have spears, but I know you do, I've seen you on social media. So and you're going through here, <laughs> you're trying all this stuff, and finally he comes up with the great idea. Three Mossad agents, because he's Israeli, I would have said CIA, but it's the Mossad agents. Um, and he hires the three Mossad agents, and he says to them, I need you to go get David for me. And they know where he is, because David's on Instagram all the time, um, and so they know he's with Samuel. Samuel's also taking pictures with him and saying, here I am with David in Navoth, Ramah. And so the first agent goes over. And as he arrives there, it says there that as he arrives into the city, because of the overflow of the Holy Spirit, this Mossad agent starts to prophesy for what comes out of the mouth is overflowing in the heart. Do you understand? His heart is confronted by the Spirit of God. The Messiah age is like, I came here to kill you, but I'm confronted by Jesus, and I just can't live any other way. I want to sing songs about him. I want to love well. I want to be a different person. David, how about we do a selfie? <laughs> Hashtag King Saul, he's alive. I mean, this is what he does, right? It's horrible, it's horrible. So Saul hears about this, he sends the second one, and the uh, same thing happens, the overflow of the Spirit. Third one happens, the overflow of the Spirit. What comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing in the heart. Now First Samuel records this, that Saul can't stand this anymore. And so sometimes you get frustrated, you feel like you're angry, and nobody's doing the thing that you should do, which is get angry with you, so you go do it yourself. First Samuel says this, and he went there to Navoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Navoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes and too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all day and night and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? King Saul is angry. King Saul is with evil intent. And the overflow of the Holy Spirit transforms him. It melts all of him away, stops him in his tracks. What comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing in the heart. And he begins to speak and sing of Jesus, full stop, all, full stop. Now, I'm not suggesting if you read this text and you read this text for yourselves, again, I'm not suggesting that everything in this text must be followed through literally. I mean, yes, when you're confronted by the Spirit, you indeed will speak of Jesus and you will sing of Jesus and you will love well, absolutely. But I'm not suggesting that the overflow means that you now must strip yourself down naked, all right? Because that's what happened to King Saul. What I am saying is, go technic with me on this and look at all the stories in the Bible about what nakedness actually means. And nakedness talks often about a state of vulnerability. It talks about a state of authenticity. It talks about nakedness is there, as there's nothing to hide inside it. And then suddenly it says there that he's able to rest. My father used to uh, pull us together as kids and uh, have family worship every day. And in England, um, uh, there was a, a TV show, a movie on BBC Two. We only had three channels. Um, no, no, no. Uh, we now have four. No, we, <laughs> we had two. Actually, I think it's still two by the BBC. But um, <laughs> the uh, BBC, and it, at 6 p.m., there was a movie every day on BBC Two. And I really wanted to see these movies. These were black and white classic movies, you know, cowboys running around and in places that I didn't know what they meant, but now I understand Michigan actually exists. And so, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Um, and so uh, I always wanted to watch this movie, but my, my parents would choose 6 p.m. to be the worship time. So I'd be like in worship, waiting for the countdown to take place. <laughs> Uh, my dad would read, and my dad was the kind of person who, when he was reading worship, he'd, if he found something interesting, he'd suddenly like, like oh, mm, 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 just suddenly be off in his world. And for like an hour, he'd be like, oh, to himself. And we'd be like, come on, come back, <laughs> join us, right? But then there were moments that would take place where we would just be uh, in there, and we would just fall asleep, my brother and I. <laughs> like, I mean, just fall fast asleep. And my dad would just say, oh, the Holy Spirit. Look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's on them, blessing them. Look at those boys, fast asleep. And the thing is this, right? We laugh about it, we, we kind of like, ah, oh, were they bored? But there's something kind of beautiful, isn't there? In the chaos of everything going on, when we're so busy, when we're so running around to and fro, something good when you just get to rest, when you just get to pause, when you get to hear and you get to sleep. And sometimes you need that. And King Saul, it says here in the Bible that when he was confronted by the Spirit, he prophesied and he sang and he slept day and night, right? Because the anger needs to go away. We get anger, angry, we have evil and bitterness and revenge and dissatisfaction and jealousy and hatred and anxiety. And all of these take so much strength from us. They take all of our energy from us, don't they? Don't you get tired? of all the energy you have to expend to be angry. I mean, it just, it takes so much. Don't you just get tired of all the bickering from people? Don't you get tired of all the agendas that people have? And don't you get tired of all the passive aggressiveness that takes place? Don't you get tired of all the negativity that you hear online and the negativity you see on the news and negativity you see with people? I mean, my tolerance level of people are negative used to be here. Sometimes it's like way down here and I just say, get thee behind me. I mean, in the road, like all the way back there. You know, just way, way back there. I mean, and I, I don't call them a Satan to their face. No, I, I want to. I really do, because it's just it's so difficult, right? And what it is that we need to learn, and I say to Jesus, I need to learn, and I need Jesus, so that I can actually live in the overflow. I want to say to Jesus, Jesus, just take this away. Take all my junk, all my struggles, all my hassles, all my worries, and all my anger, and remove this from me, so that it may melt away. That happened in Navoth. It happened in the early church. It happens at Crosswalk. It happens online with all our communities and all our families extended. It can happen in your homes. It can happen in your communities, wherever you are, if you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. The problem is that we have this age-old struggle where we understand we are not connected all the time. What comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing the heart. But if our heart is not in sync with Jesus, then we live in a really unhealthy space. And the Bible is full of stories, right, of our family and our people in the Bible who are out of sync with Jesus. You remember the, the pre-road experience of Damascus, right, where, where Paul, before he was, he was Saul, he, was, he didn't even understand this. He said when he was persecuting people, he's persecuting Jesus. When we persecute our people, we're persecuting Jesus. When we argue and we hurt people, we're hurting Jesus. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. This is what Jesus says. He didn't get this because he's out of sync with Jesus. Our history, our history is full of stories as well of our family and our people that are out of sync with Jesus. When Christopher Columbus 
famous Christopher Columbus, a double agent working between Portugal and Spain against each other, but under direct leadership of the church, right? He shares in one of his journals about one of the trips to Haiti in the Dominican Republic in 1495, where he says he had 1,600 people that he had stolen and then refers to them in the name of the Trinity, in the name of the church, as cargo. This are people who are not in sync with Jesus, right? They're not in sync with Jesus. They're not speaking when, when their heart is not in sync with their. And then in more recent times, today, the world that we live in, you have to wonder whether, is anybody out there in sync with Jesus right now? The heart needs to be repaired. And do you know what repairs your heart? Do you know what actually heals your heart? I, I ask people at times to do this uh, very simple exercise to, uh, to draw a circle on a piece of paper. And uh, you can try this and you place your name in the middle of here. And then what you do is you draw a line out from here for everything that you're responsible for. And so you may draw a line out for your kids, for your siblings, for your family, for work. And as you draw work, you may draw another circle and say, what does work entail and draw more lines? What does family entail and draw more circles and more lines? And kind of spider map out everything that you're responsible for. And then you, after you've done that, take another color and, and draw all the things that infuse strength into your life. Everything that actually is a blessing into your life that you just, that reverse. And it may be family, it may be work, it may be something. And start to kind of see, are you being replenished? Is God even part of that? Is God part of this entire circle? Is he actually really helping you to grow so that you are living in the overflow? I have asked people, I said to them, do you, know, do you have a, a flare in your life? Do you have a, a warning sign that, that if you shoot this flare, and some people have a flare and they can identify, if I do this in my life, you know that something crazy is going on in my life and I need some help. And I said, well, this is good that you know what your flare is. But then do you shoot your flare in a bucket? Or do you shoot your flare in the sky where people can see it? So you have to belong to community in order for people to know you. I'm always surprised when people come to me and, uh, you know, even at my church in Boulder, and they'll say to me things like, nobody knew that I was away for the last two weeks. I said, oh, that's true. Um, do, you, do you have any friends? Do you know anybody in your life? Did you tell anybody? Uh, do you, are you connected to anybody? I'm not connected to anybody per se, but you should know that I was away the last two weeks. The difficulty is that it's impossible for all of us to know what everybody else is doing unless we were really weird, right? I mean, it's impossible. It'd be kind of creepy. I mean, we'd all have to have the Find Me app on every single person. It'd just be kind of creepy. So the issue is this. We need to start taking care of each other. We need to know whether somebody's not here. We need to actually say hello to each other. <laughs> A novel idea, I know. I mean, just imagine if we started to connect with each other and say, hey, let's get together, not for a date, let's get together. <laughs> let's actually belong to each other. And this is why it's so important to belong to each other, to engage with each other, to commit to each other. If you have to ask yourself, if you're healed, you're not healed. When you're healed, you will live in the overflow from your heart. And this is why we gather every day as families, right? That's why we sit down and we talk as families every day. We talk with community every day. This is why we gather in life groups or small groups or community collectives. It's why we actually do this every day. This is why we gather for worship 
every week. I don't know if you have, I know you don't have this problem here at Crosswalk, but I have this problem back in Boulder. My people, my people, my family there, they say, the mountains are calling. Uh, uh, And I say, the mountains are calling right after church. But they say the mountains are calling all weekend. And I'm like, what? I mean, literally, I arrived there the first year, five years ago, and they said to me, hey, Pastor, it's May, I'll see you in September. I said, what? what's happening? Did you get transferred? They said, no, log cabin. I was like, a log cabin? Are you leaving your job? No, just the weekends. I said, oh, uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go discover God in the mountains. I said, oh, are you really? <laughs> what happened to you Sunday? Huh? What happened to you Saturday after church? Huh? What happened to Friday night? I mean, you can go all the time. You can just come to church first. It'll be a really good idea. It'll be really important. And they, it's taken them a long time to get to the place where they understand that church is not for them to come just for themselves, right? Because uh, I've got some people who, who are what we, in London, we refer to them as bunny hoppers. You know what bunny hoppers are? They bounce from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church because they don't know. They're kind of like, who am I? I don't know. I'm going to this church and this church and this church. And they just bunny hop because they don't know how to understand the value of committing to something beautiful, committing to the future, committing to the present, because we need each other to sing, even if you can't sing, because it heals us. To hear the word, even if you don't understand everything, because it heals us. To hug, even if you're an introvert, (laughs) because it heals us. To serve. You have to belong because it heals us. And the power of the Spirit will transform you. We're entering into the Christmas season right now. And I love, as I said, the Christmas season. It's the most beautiful time of the year. And for me, it's a reminder of the incarnation, of God's promise from the very beginning that I am with you. I've always been with you. I wanted to walk in the garden with you. And I'm going to come to the earth and I'm going to reset this clock so that you understand this. So I love this reminder. It's very important for me. But in this reminder and in this season, this beautiful season for me, there's so many ways to look at the Christmas season. And when I look at the gospel stories inside here, I've, I've always wondered like how do the, the gospel stories bookend it? And there's many ways to bookend it, but one that I wanna share with you is just this bookend. If you look at the story at the beginning in John chapter two, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just one of the ways to look at it, Jesus begins the ministry by going into the temple. You remember this story? He walks into the temple and he says, you mustn't turn my father's house into a market. And he overturns it. For what comes out of the mouth is what's overflowing in the heart. And in his heart, he's saying, look what you're doing. You guys are messing with people. You don't even let them do their sacrifices. This is horrible. And he turns the temple over. At the end of Jesus' ministry, before he dies on the cross and the resurrection, you read about him riding on a donkey, and as kings did of old. And they're shouting his praises and singing Hosanna and laying palm branches down. And it says in Matthew chapter 21, something really different takes place. This is what it says there. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and said, this is the prophet Jesus from whom Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought the temple and he overturned the temples and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I know that when we read this text, our mind automatically goes back to John 2, 
the beginning story. And we think automatically in belief mode, right? We think, well, if belief says this, it says that he just came and overturned the temple, it must be the same thing in Matthew. But if you look for meaning, if you look for technique, if you look for the bigger picture inside, if you're looking for the technic overflow inside here, go with me on this. What if when he's riding on the donkey and they're all shouting Hosanna, he's remembering all the people who deserted him? What if he's remembering the texts of Isaiah and Hosea and the texts of 1 Samuel? And he's remembering all these passages where it says, I didn't need your sacrifices, all I needed was your love, right? If what Jesus is doing as he's riding on a donkey, he's remembering and understanding that right now he's about to do something that they're all gonna desert him. And then he arrives in the temple and he sees inside the temple that they've got all this money exchange still going on and they're sacrificing and he overturns it and he says, even the pigeon, in Matthew it says, even the pigeon he removed, the cheapest offering, because he's saying, I didn't even want the sacrifices. I never wanted. I never wanted death to be an option. I never wanted anybody to have to die. I never wanted any animal to have to die. I never wanted this to be the place. In fact, what I wanted more than anything was that the temple would be a place of prayer and healing. That's what I was looking for. And so that's what I wanted and that's what was in my heart. And that's why I came to this earth to reconcile heaven and earth together to bring the kingdom of God into this place so that you would live a different way. Maybe that's what he's thinking right there and then, right? Maybe that's what he's dreaming of right there and then, saying the act that I'm gonna go through, this thing I'm gonna go through, this is because I wanna change the world. I want you to live in a different place and I want you to be transformed by the power of the Spirit so you may live a life of overflow and you may love well. That's the wish and the prayer of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we call on your name, oh Lord, because we know that your name, there is power and strength. And through the power of the Spirit, Lord, that you send us, we know that you can transform us. God, we ask for deep transformation in our lives. Heal our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, Lord. Oh God, just may, may what flows out of our heart be the words that actually are about love and community. May we be a transforming place, Lord. There are people here that need to be transformed, God. Transform them, transform all of us, God, I ask this. And God, give us the strength as you build the fire behind us and as you part the waters in front of us, give us the courage to walk through it. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful and wonderful name, amen.